Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Today, we'll be looking back at a conversation that we had with Julie Molnar, our former Director of Education. Since then, she's moved on to lead the efficacy team at LEGO Education. With Julie, we'll explore the importance of efficacy in the world of learning design. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for joining our podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? I, you know, I always go back to one specific moment, and I was in middle school, and it was not only the reason that I pursued a career in education, but it was the reason that I loved a particular course. And it was a French class. And we had a French professor. Well, you don't call them professors in middle school, you call them teachers. So we had a teacher who told us to pretty much throw away our textbook at the beginning of the class. And that's unheard of in, I won't say how old I am, but in those days, everything was done in textbooks. So the fact that we were getting rid of our textbooks, we were all kind of a little scared, shocked, excited. And we ended up the whole course never using a textbook. And we learned the language by immersing ourselves in the culture. So it was culture first and then rules of language. But the fact that we, we watched a lot of movies, no subtitles, we watched a lot of movies, learned you know a lot of language that way. But we did a lot of role playing. It was so much like interactive and just like actually experiencing not just the language, but gaining a huge appreciation for the culture. And I just am always still in awe by the way that he knew how to get us to, I think we all ended up loving the language. So that's my memorable experience. And that's why I even got into the whole field of education. <laughs> I love that, you know, just throwing up the textbooks. Would love to be the fly on the wall seeing all the students' reactions when he yeah. said that to you all. How did everyone react at first when he said that? Oh, everybody was, I mean, there are a lot of people that got nervous. We're definitely like, okay, what? this is going to be really hard. What are we going to do? You know, they get nervous. The first reaction is nervous. But I think it teaches students to be more experimental and to really, to be front stage or to be like an active participant in their learning. And it only took maybe one or two class sessions before I think people realized it. I will say, I'm sure he got into a lot of trouble from the admin, but it was, I mean, it wasn't a public school, so there aren't as many barriers. So I think that's one of the reasons why he was able to do that. Yeah. And you said this experience also was what caused you to want to go into education. Do you mind just describing briefly how you got into the field of education and how you ended up here at Code Combat as the director of education? What was that transition like? What was that journey like? Well, so, you know, based on my story of that French class, I actually always decided that I was going to be a French teacher. So right after, after getting, after getting my, my first degree, I went to teach French and realized very quickly that I was never going to be the teacher he was. So <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know. I didn't have the guts, I guess. I just didn't have the, the confidence to do what he did. Maybe I didn't have also like 
I was teaching in an inner city public high school. It was definitely an uphill battle getting them to even show up to class. And I was like, you know what? This is maybe not where I'm going to have my most impact. Right. Uh, so after a couple of years of really like banging my head on the wall, I decided that educational publishing was probably a better place where I could actually help create curriculum that was engaging and where the teacher wouldn't need to throw it out, would actually want to use it. So I went into start a fairly long career with McGraw-Hill, Pearson. I worked at all the big ones, started out as an editor, and then slowly made my way more into strategy, which is where I fell in love with efficacy. <laughs> but Code Combat was doing something that their mission was to really reach those disenfranchised learners and to really get students engaged and become active in their learning process and decisions. And using a game-based platform to teach was not something that we typically did at Pearson and McGraw-Hill and those very traditional type of content producers. So Code Combat was very interesting to me. And I thought this would be a new challenge. And speaking of a new challenge, the backstory is both Julie and I joined the learning design team and CodeCon uh, within a month of the global pandemic hitting the U.S. So even though the both of us are on the same team, we've only met once in person since she's in New York and I'm in California. So it, it was a unique experience to just start our journey here at Code Combat, but I would love for you to share your experience of working in the field of education during the middle of a global pandemic. What has it been like for you, given your role here at Code Combat? Well, the work side of it has been seamless like transition for me. I mean, I will say, first of all, you are the only Code Combat employee that I've met in person. I, I think I was supposed to come to San Francisco the week I joined, and that was the week we went into what's lockdown, basically. So I never got to go to the office and never met anybody. But I will say this, it was very easy for me because my previous role was working in a global company where most of the people I worked with were in other countries. And so the majority of the time I was working remotely anyway. So I feel like with all the technology products that we have, it's so easy and it's almost second nature for me to work remotely. But looking at how we kind of help teachers make that transition and what we as content developers and producers can do to help teachers, that was a huge shift, a complete shift in focus, really focusing on how are we going to engage students on a computer, you know, like in a computer. With, without being able to interact with their teacher, without being able to interact with other fellow students. So I think we made a lot of changes, not only in the way that we create content, but in the resources that we provided to teachers and really shifting our focus to how can we make this an experience that's almost as good, almost as engaging and almost as rigorous without the classroom, without the brick and mortar. So it's a really new way to think about learning and a new way to think about teaching. And of course, there's no replacement for that physical interaction. And going back to my French class in eighth grade, 
where we actually role play and you have, you know, like a lot of interaction. But we did come up with a lot of ways to, you know, kind of mollify this, this situation. Right. I hear you because I recall so many times we've had to stop ourselves in the middle of designing a portion of the curriculum and go, oh, wait, this might not be in a classroom. Because I feel like you and I, when we've designed curriculum in the past, it's actually leaning on that collaboration and group, small group work, pair work to really like, you know, just diversify the classroom experience. Yeah. And saying, how do we pivot that kind of experience into just a Zoom classroom is pretty tough. It Uh, is. And you can't mimic it, right? So you have to come up with another way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say you're absolutely right. Like we did stop ourselves so many times, but I'm thinking this is a great experience for the future of education. We're eventually, it's going to be more similar to the pandemic model than to the brick and mortar traditional classroom model. That's very true. And I feel like we learned a lot from teachers using our product on how they implemented the hybrid model because they were forced to, obviously. But it was interesting. We'd done webinars just saying, what are some lessons learned from the hybrid models and the distance learning model? So I I think that's a really great point about how this really is our future and it's a good way to prepare ourselves. Yeah. And diving into that, how does efficacy play a role in assessing how the pandemic has been for education and how has it also impacted your decision making in the past as well? Well, I want to talk about efficacy for a second, just to give a context of why it's so important in education, because typically you think of efficacy in the pharmaceutical bit arena where you know if a, a drug is working or not, right? Efficacy has moved into education and it's, I'm so thankful that we're focusing on really what is the impact that our educational materials are having on students. Because I think in the past, we've had a lot of people that say, okay, well, we have to teach for the standards, we have to teach for the test. And we don't really look at what impact is this having on not just the student at the moment, but on their future. And the whole point of education, right, is to develop people into productive members of society and successful members of society. And efficacy is really our way to kind of make sure that we're always focused on the learner and that we're always focused on developing them, supporting them and ensuring a successful future. So when you talk about efficacy in the pandemic, I have to say, like, I don't look at efficacy in the pandemic any different than efficacy in the regular time without the pandemic. It's always, no matter what we're doing, so whether we're creating a product, and like you were saying, we had to stop ourselves and make sure that this would work in a virtual classroom. But you always have the umbrella of when you say, will it work? That means, will it have that intended impact on the learner, whether it's in a virtual setting or whether it's in a a physical classroom setting. So advocacy is really, to me, it's about always maintaining your focus on the learner. Right. And I feel like you've brought some great rigor into how we use efficacy to make decisions at this company. For example, in the past, I feel like our efficacy attempts 
have been very casual, right? We've done play testing. We'll interview teachers here and there. We might present some content, have them play it through it and see what's working and what's not working. But I feel like you've leveled up that pursuit in our company. Do you mind going over that difference between, you know, the standard user testing or talking to teachers versus truly using efficacy to impact our decision making here at Code Combat? Yeah, I mean, look, play testing tends to be validating assumption, right? And we all are guilty of having sort of preconceived assumption. I think what efficacy does is it's really like your almost your police state of making sure that you have no preconceived notions. We're not validating assumptions. But it's also, I think, efficacy starts at the very beginning, before you have even written your first lesson. It is about identifying the learner outcomes that matter most to the student. And that requires some rigorous in like exploratory research, not confirmatory research. And when I say exploratory research, I mean, it's going out there and being like, what matters to you? Totally open-ended question without saying, you know, does this matter to you? We don't want to do that. We want to say what matters to you. So we go to, we talk to teachers and we talk to students and we talk to industry leaders. And those are the three key stakeholders when determining learner outcome. What is it that matters most to the student? What is it that matters most from the teacher's perspective for their students? And what is it that industry leaders think are the most important attributes and skills of a future workforce? So identifying those first before you even write any content is the key to positive efficacy reports. If you've created your content around those learner outcomes and everything you do, everything you write, everything you create, everything you do in your content is to impact those learner outcomes, then you will have a really great, rigorous and engaging and, you know, positive impact on students and that the product will work. Thanks for just walking us through that of what to focus on when you're looking at efficacy. And we are just wrapping up one semester-long efficacy study, right? And where students played through our game Azaria and you were checking in with them periodically throughout the experience and throughout the study itself. What have been your takeaways on the impacts of our product with these students and with these teachers, especially when it comes to our game? Because we develop these games, so kids are learning through a game, they're designing games on their own. Yeah, so what have been your takeaways so far from the efficacy study? One thing where I want to say about the game-based learning is we all know it's engaging and we all know that play is, is the most you know successful way to get students engaged. However, just having a game or game-based learning is not enough, right? We have to make sure that we're meeting those learning and that students are actually not just learning, but developing the skills that they will need in order to be successful later in life. So one of the things that we were specifically looking at in the efficacy study is not just how much time did students spend in this and did, you know, does that correlate to how well they did? It, it was really about how did students kind of 
gain more metacognitive skill, using game-based learning, allowing them to, you know, be active participants in the learning, as I always say, is very important. But not only that, but it really gave them more confidence. The way that our platform sort of worked was that like it lended itself to have students feel comfortable and safe in making mistakes. And that is so crucial in the learning process. It's the way that we learn is by making errors. And then we also want to, you know, kind of self-correct those errors. So I think what I'm learning from a lot of the ways that we've asked these questions and surveys and some of our assessments that we've been giving is that students are not just gaining the confidence in their coding skills, but they're gaining the confidence in their metacognitive skills. And to me, that's a success. You know, and I don't know what the final results are going to be, but definitely the leading indicators are that we have had a very positive impact on student self-confidence, their motivation, and their metacognitive skills. Do you mind expanding a little bit more about metacognitive skills? That might be something that our audience might not be as familiar with. What is it and why do you think it's so important in the grand scheme of education for our kids and our students out there? I think it's important because we all learn in different ways, right? Some of us are visual, some of us are spatial, kinesthetic, whatever it is. We also learn at different paces. Knowing how you learn best is the key to success in school. Right. So if I already know, or I've, I'm sort of looking at how I'm learning and looking at how I learn best, what resonates with me the most? Do I need sort of to take a new concept and relate it to something that I've already learned or something that's in my everyday life? Is that how I kind of internalize something best? And then also simple things like, am I a good test taker? And why am I not a good test taker? What about testing? Is, is it the pressure? Is it the time? All these things that you learn, that's all part of metacognition, understanding how you learn best, and then sort of taking the steps that you need to take to remove those barriers or to alleviate those barriers. And if every student is able to do that, it would make the teacher's job of differentiating much easier, but it will also guarantee them more success in their learning journey. Right. Because they become more proactive learners, right? They're owning yeah. their own. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. They're owning their own learning. And I feel like we use that every day, even as adults, right? I used to work at LeapFrog and the motto there is learn something new every day. And I say, that's something even grownups can, can adopt. So it's yeah. this metacognition is almost crucial for even after they're done with schooling. Does that jive with Absolutely. what you, you feel? So think about it this way. Like if you're self-aware, you're healthy, right? If you're not self-aware, you're going to have a lot of problems. I mean, just a general thing as an adult, you need to be as self-aware as possible. That will set you up for success. Yeah. Metacognition is very similar. Agreed. So everyone out there, Metacognition, keep that on your radar. Yeah, not just for self-aware. <laughs> that's right. It's not just for your students, but for yourselves as well. Yeah. So basically looking into your future, I know you're going to be leaving us very soon for an amazing role at Lego Education to lead their efficacy and insights team. 
So as you prepare for the new role, what are your visions or goals for efficacy in education? Not just for your work at Lego Education, but where do you see the world of education going and how efficacy is going to be able to impact that? I see efficacy not being a sort of a department or a siloed, you know, role in any type of curriculum provider. The way that I see it is eventually there won't be any efficacy department or efficacy role because every single person in that company, whether it be from your customer support team, your curriculum developers, your marketing, your sales, your even your engineers are all aligned around learner outcome and impacting those learner outcomes. So even the engineer who's writing the algorithm for your LMS or your adaptive you know, technology platform is focused on those learner outcomes and everything they're doing is purposeful in that the reason for doing something is because it will have a positive impact on that learner outcome. So I do see it as something that should fade away as a title and that it should just be sort of the business as usual, if that answers your question. Oh, it does. And even now, you know, you're passionate about efficacy. I am as well. But maybe for someone working in ed tech, as you say, the engineer or someone in sales, someone in marketing, how do you get them to care and realize, hey, this impacts you too? Like, what is that conversation like? How do you, how would you speak to them and to help them understand the importance of efficacy? I'm not sure actually that it is a conversation. I think it's more of a experience. I think that if there was somebody that at this point doesn't understand sort of the goals of ed tech or the whole, you know, the mission of any ed tech organization, which is not to be profitable, that's a side bonus. Of course, a lot of salespeople or CEOs are probably like holding their breath right now, but uh, you and I, I know, agree on this, that the profitability is just an actual outcome of having a good product, right? So you don't focus on that. You focus on creating the best possible product. But if I were to advise somebody who's new in the field, I would strongly recommend that they go out there and either observe a classroom of engaged students in preferably a game-based platform like Ozaria or something and see the excitement in the student's eyes or that one student that says, oh, class is over. I want to finish this. You know, I want them to see that. And then I would want them to actually have a conversation with the teachers and the students and get that firsthand experience. Because once you see a student who is excited about learning, I don't know how you can go into any other field or do anything else except keep wanting to encourage that next student as well. I agree. I mean, that's what got me into education is seeing that light bulb moment for a student way back when. And I think there is something to be said about almost trying to build that into the routine of everybody at a, a tech company. In the past, I know we've tried to make sure, you know, pre-pandemic, that we were in the classroom at least once a month and we were bringing not just the curriculum people, but the engineers and the marketing people and the customer service people so they could have those experiences, like you said, in the classroom to, to see, oh, this is what an outcome is. 
And yeah. And the other thing, you know, about that profitability, I hear you. I feel you too. I know. But wouldn't you say that this efficacy study took a whole semester? The spending that time looking at our product and seeing where it can improve. When you're using efficacy and you're trying to really create a, like you said, a compelling product for students that really impacts their lives. Wouldn't you say that if you really focus on that, a great side effect is that is a very appealing product for both right. schools and parents as well. So that's a really great side effect that it's going to be a product that is going to sell more than if you didn't do this work. Yeah. And you touched on something that, you know, is so important that I forgot to mention, of course, which is as part of the efficacy process, not just to come out with positive results to show the impact, but it's for us to learn what we need to improve in our product. What isn't meeting those learner outcomes? And you know, why do we have it then? But it's for us to also improve our product. Yeah. And because I feel like often we we can fall into this trap of just designing in a vacuum, right? We might just pull three students here and five teachers there and go, okay, is this okay? And then just launch our product out. But then when we're trying to revise, it's you're trying to guess at what's working and what's not working. Versus this efficacy study, we have data now to help move us forward in, in deciding on what to work on. What I want to say, though, is when you're doing an efficacy study, there are certain parameters that you have to meet in order for it to be valid, right? Because like you were saying, when you play test, you might just pick out a few people. You know, we need defined samples and defined populations and psychometrically sound measures of data collection. And we don't randomly just create surveys that that ask leading questions. They're very much open-ended and we really want to get to the truth. So we analyze all that data with a very rigorous statistical approach. It is a valid and reliable study. It has to be. Otherwise, there's just no point. Otherwise, we're just, like I said, validating our own assumptions. And what's the danger of doing that, of not adding that rigor in just validating our own assumptions, throwing in leading questions or doing playtesting? What would you say are the main, you know, dangers or negative outcomes of going down that path instead of truly using efficacy? Well, I'd like to go back to that exploratory versus confirmatory research. We're exploring, we're open to whatever the data brings us. And the opposite of that is a confirmatory research study, which starts out with the conclusion. And then all the evidence that you gather is to validate that conclusion. So you might start out with an erroneous conclusion. And all you've done in this entire efficacy study is just validate that erroneous conclusion. So you're never going to get it. You know, you have to be open to negative results and you have to be completely starting out at a blank slate, nothing to validate. Right. Yeah. And then going down an erroneous conclusion can often lead to strategy, decisions and strategy. Everything. Yeah. Right. Right. The whole (laughs) kit and caboodle. It just goes downhill from there. It's a domino effect. Right. Yeah. I I feel you on that one. Looking back into your student self in the French class there, Mm -hmm. you know, you could talk to that person 
who wanted to explore a career in education and possibly also at tech as you are now, what would be some advice that you can give that person? Whether it's a middle school person or maybe it's a teacher in a classroom looking to pivot into ed tech. I know those are two very different people, but what what would be some advice that you would give them? You know, I would honestly say, and this might not be the popular response, but I would honestly tell them to question everything, right? If you Mm -hmm. feel like something you're doing is boring or you're not learning, say so. I think students have a voice that is really that we need to hear from them more. So as a student, I would say, I would have said to myself, if you thought that this was like crazy, or if you thought that this was boring, I want to say this. One of my sons is in his fourth year of Spanish class, and he still can't say a sentence. And he doesn't know anything about the culture. And, you know, I'm not, I don't want to criticize other teachers or whatever, but to me, why is he not questioning that? Why are they just going through and, oh, I got an A on the test, so everything's fine. But I want, you know, take ownership. So I think that's sort of what I would say to that self. Yeah, that's so interesting because I often say I'm the worst student when I'm taking a class now because I am questioning everything and how it's taught. And when they ask for feedback, I'm writing paragraphs. (laughs) If it's like a normal orientation on, I don't know, like safety at work or something like that. (laughs) We're giving copious feedback. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm hoping somebody's reading it. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that it too. But I I think that calls back to the metacognition piece, right? Because you're not only learning, but you're also assessing what the learning experience is like and how it can be tweaked to make it more engaging for yourself and possibly other people as well. And then, yeah, piggybacking off of that, so... I'm going to have you channel yourself into, you were trying to teach that friend's class and going, okay, this is not for me necessarily. What advice would you give to someone in that situation? Listen to yourself. Honestly, teachers are so important. They're the front line of our entire future of society. I I don't think we put enough emphasis on how important they are and how they mold our, you know, our children. If you're a teacher and you're not, feeling it, you're not completely 100% devoted to developing your students and making them successful members of society, go and do something else in education. <laughs> it's so harsh, but I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, look, nobody gets into teaching for the month, right? No. And you have to love it. Because there's so many ups and downs and it's really, you know, it's stressful and it's not easy. So it's like any other job. You've got to love it. And if you're, if you don't love it, I would say there's other things you can do in education. And what are some steps I could do to explore other options? What would be some steps for them to explore what might be a better fit for them? I think it's really about networking, right? Like you could talk to other people that have gone through your same either training program and education, looking at what other degrees you might want going back to school, but not everybody can do that. So I, I really think it's just a lot of, you know, networking, talk to other people in education, see what they do and something might spark your interest. For me, it was a friend of mine was working in educational publishing and telling me what they did. And I saw that was the place that I could have the impact I wanted to have. 
That's great advice. And I have to say LinkedIn has been really great for the education community. I think I found my past two roles on LinkedIn. So yeah, yeah, definitely would lean into using that too. But besides that, I thank you so much for this interview, Julie. I know you're going to do amazing things at Lego Education. And yeah, thanks for joining our podcast and, and sharing your experience with us. Thank you. That was so much fun. And and you're going to do amazing things with the Code Compact curriculum in good hands. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.